Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Michael... No, I am your host, Ethan... Wait, who am I? <laughs> I don't know, ask your wife. <laughs> Wait, why is she here? <laughs> you needed supervision. Uh, oh, is it just to read the rules and then she's gonna leave? No. Oh, shoot. I already did that. Did you? When? Now, now tell us the rules. Karen, what are the rules? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. listener. Now you did. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Wrong order, though. Just tell you the rules. Oh, there's like a wrinkle in the time stream. What? Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Ethan Lilienthal, and this is my guest, <laughs> Michael, Michael Bartlett. Bartlett. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> you know it. Uh, and none of that is true. None of that. Is, well, some of it is true. Nope, none of I it. I am their host. Nope, everything was false. All right. We're yeah. telling you right now, everything we say is a lie. Including that? Including that. Whoa. <laughs> We're putting all kinds of wrinkles in the space-time continuum. So... Having introduced you to Ethan and Michael, <laughs> we would like to introduce you to our special guest. This is Karen. Hello. Karen is my wife, and she just read you the rules, but she's here for longer this time in a decision I was not consulted on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love you, dear. Uh, uh, gentle listener, I am often very mean to my wife, and now there's going to be audio evidence, which... I'm suddenly starting to think it's not all a set of coincidences. <laughs> um, this has been a very long con. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half years and counting. Uh, very good. Um, yeah, so we're here in a room that Scotch is in, <laughs> which is the name of what the podcast is. Uh, <laughs> that is this podcast the, the, to which one. you are listening. To which you are listening to. Is there anything else on the script? No, that's basically is that okay? Yeah, good. And we already did the rules, so there's yeah, nothing to do but reveal the scotch. I suppose, gentle listeners, do this... we need to reveal what book we're talking about? I'm just going to do that after the scotch. Right, I don't know what order first. we do things in. I don't know. I haven't listened to any episodes of the show. <laughs> um, but it's not about the scotch. Right. Well, that's why we get it out of the way at the oh, beginning. okay. Except you're making it take... This is like when you were on a road trip you know, when you were younger <laughs> and like you asked your dad, you know, how, how long until we get there? And finally your dad snapped and said that 
every time you ask how long it takes to get there, it actually puts a sort of quantum mechanical wormhole out like a, into Like a wrinkle the, in time? Yeah, like out into <laughs> the time stream and physically makes it take longer right. to get wherever you're going by asking that question. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's dad is a quantum physicist. That's true. So, that's true. That's He's fighting evil on distant planets. Well, sometimes not. That. Sometimes they're just thank you, Jor-El. snoring. Sometimes they're just snoring during the movie, and then you know, waking up and asking who that is during the movie that they fell asleep at the beginning of. Um, not that that's a very short biography of my childhood. Anyway, the Scotch. That was already bad. I was thinking that our last last month's set of episodes. Um, the the um borrowed man okay. episodes like were really really coherent and like together even through to the second episode which sure. historically is usually a disaster and I was like we're gonna pay for that this month yeah and we already are we already, already are <laughs> thank you thank you for that word of encouragement wife. don't even worry about it this month Scotch which I am not hastily peeling the the price tag off of <laughs> is. Glenn... Oh, you bought scotch with a price tag on it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I go to those plebe stores. <laughs> not the stores that, you know, you uh, Lutheran pastors go to that if you have to ask about the price, you can't afford it. Right. Um, yeah, you... you just select a, a slab of scotch and they cut it off for you. So, really just, just ignoring, is in gelatinous form. ignoring everything about physics. You go out into the, the herds of scotch animals, <laughs> and you select the one you that you want one. them to butcher. <laughs> Wait, do you milk them or butcher them? Both. This scotch fan fiction is already confusing and full of holes. Or wrinkles, one might say. <laughs> I hate you. Wrinkles? I'm, in time. I know I did this. <laughs> yeah, no one can see your your woo woo hand gestures, Karen. They can imagine. It's an audio medium. Was yeah. someone knocking? No. <laughs> okay. I don't think. No, I think we're good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes, gentle listener, that was all three of us trying to listen to my apartment's front door. <laughs> um, this month's scotch is Glen Goyne. Uh, <sighs> Which... I almost bought that the other day. Oh, did you? Not the bottle, but a glass of it. Oh, okay. Interesting. I had never heard of it. Neither did I. Until... Which is why I almost bought it. Sure. Well, so there's actually kind of a funny story about this. Um, like, this episode was a disaster to produce even before we hit record, because <laughs> someone's wife, who will remain unnamed for purposes of me sleeping in my bed and not the couch tonight... Um, I mean, it's a still 50-50 shot <laughs> yeah we'll see how it, how it stands by the end of the episode um someone's wife was supposed to get them the scotch because the someone's wife was doing the grocery shopping and agreed to buy the scotch so that very nicely really so that her husband didn't have to you know make an extra trip but someone's wife didn't get the text uh, about <laughs> what scotch to buy until someone's wife was at home and someone's wife didn't... Well, no, I, yeah, that's, I guess, actually... I wanted to u- do another clause that started with the phrase someone's wife because I've been enjoying that, but it's not. Sure, it's there's nothing else, really. Okay, so, and then the grocery store was, like, 25 minutes away. So, someone had the choice of sending his wife 
back out after she had already very nicely like gone out of her way to do the grocery shopping. Any normal red-blooded American man would. Yeah, I I guess I really do have a problem. Um, Or of, you know, going the 25 minutes in to buy the scotch himself, or of going to the local liquor store and uh, sort of taking a risk on what small-town Wisconsin liquor store scotch selection would Wait, be Wait, you've like. told them where we are! We've told them, like, a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. We reference that, like, pretty much every <laughs> I'm sorry to burst your bubble on this one. They already know. Oh, okay. And Not the amount of... security, you guys. The, well, the amount of stalking you've experienced is the amount of stalkers that we have, so... Okay. Um, so that's you and me stalking each other, to yeah. be clear. Anyway. Exactly one. Per host. <laughs> One per host. <laughs> uh, so, but I ended up very kind of glad with how this all worked out because I had never heard of Glengoyne. The local liquor store actually apparently like sells a lot of it, so they huh. get it in and they get a good price on it. So this was a, an unexpected find. Um, so it has a very nice sort of black and silver, black mm-hmm. and silver and white um Kind of chromey. It oozes box class. To it. it does. It's, and Put it's... that back in. You're making a mess. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, my floor is. Yeah, my floor is already a mess. So whatever. Well, um, adding class to it. So. That's, yeah, that's true. Now it's now it's a classy. Ooze that oozy class mess. all over the floor. Uh, Glenn Goyne, Their their motto says unhurried since 1833. That's why which... it's taking so long to get this episode yes, started. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so this Glenn is Goyne. the Glen Goyne... 12-year-old uh, single malt, and without further ado, I'm going to uh, crack mm-hmm. her open the very Ooh. beautiful sort of bevel glass bottle, mahogany-colored scotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael? That's me. Michael Bartlett. And so Ethan Lilienthal. All right, there's a certain now, set of questions did that... Did you just switch wives? We don't need to be asking, Karen! <laughs> and no, because then Michael's wife will have been on here twice, and my wife zero, and that's... Not Which right. means I win, therefore. Exactly. I and won the podcast. As we know, there is no winning in Michael and Ethan in a room with But scotch. I just did. I think that's but like the third did, time though. I've actually won You haven't ever won? You no, I'm pretty sure we've established that I've won at least twice a bunch before. of times. So in <laughs> retrospect, that would mean that your wife has been on the podcast. That's true. Ha! She unwon you, because then Sarah would be my wife, and then she would have been on the podcast because time. So your wife in is the really present sort of has been wobbly. on the pod- podcast, but not yeah. as your wife. So can she be called your wife on All the right. podcast? We're twelve minutes in, and we haven't even said the actual full name of the book. Well, we'll 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 wrinkle the time the of this podcast. I hate you. To get I hate. The title in there I hate all of you. I hate all two of you. This is my month to host, and I don't feel that I'm being respected. You invited your wife on. So. I mean, I did, yeah. So <laughs> this was really my doing. Man creates his own evil. I don't know. We should probably clink glasses so Let's we can do that. All right. get the podcast started. L'chaim. Brost. Slancha. Very good. It helps to do a drinking salute. Should I talk about mine? No, you can't talk about yours either. But I didn't say what it was. I know. I just saved you from losing. You're welcome. Ooh. Yeah. You can say it at the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Karen... And then we'll wrinkle it back to the front. Karen is uh, (laughs) 
being not participating well with the other children. You let know, us say. sort of like the protagonist of our book this what? month, A By... Wrinkle in Time. By Madeline Langle. By Madeline Langle, yeah. which is French for the, the angle. angle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I to, before we start talking about the book, even though I really want to talk about this book, I feel obligated as a co-host on this podcast to point out that having a guest on the podcast, Karen has the right to establish a rule should she choose. Yes, that's right. That is true. And I had hoped you would maybe forget to mention that <laughs> because I'm very afraid. Very afraid. Okay. You don't have to do it right now. Okay. Like you can do it sometime over the so course at, of the episode. At any point, I can... Yes. Okay. And we can't, like... The loss doesn't happen until after you establish the rule. Okay. So you can't be like... Like backdate the loss. Yeah, right. you can't. Okay. Right. Can't wrinkle the time on this. <laughs> not on this one. This is, a, this is a fixed point in time. So basically, not, it's not now where you... Right. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. The yeah, card game. Yeah, yeah, the card yeah, yeah. game. I was going into a whole Chinese Communist Party history. <laughs> thing. It, it would also very be unfortunate if it were Mao Zedong. But yes, yes, thank you. Yes. Very good. Okay, now we've talked about literally everything except this book. All right, let's talk about this book. Good All right, Michael, go talk yes. about this book. So I did. I did actually want to start out on on you. Okay. Um, you know, as I start most podcasts. Uh, Except ones where my wife is in the room, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um yeah. I forgot what I was saying. You oh, you're no, on me. What I, I I wanted to be on you because um, <laughs> you love this book so much, so much, and like it it you know drips from every every like conversation in which this book is in that you are also in um, was perhaps yes. the most complicated way I could have structured that sentence. Um, right. But, like, you just, you know, every time there, that we text about this book or whatever, like, you mentioned a new essay you wanted to write about it. Or... Like, there are, like, 12 essays I want to write yeah, about this book. Yeah, and you already wrote a an essay about this I book. I did, and I think I will post it onto the website, even though I wrote it as a college student and it's very much just an undergrad college paper. Yeah. But I'm going to post it anyway. Sure. It'll, you'll, it'll be on the website. I'll link to it in the show notes for this episode. So it'll be there. Um, and the title of that essay, if I remember right, is The Inadequacy of Language in Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. Ah, very, very interesting. Uh-huh. And that, you wrote that for literary criticism. Literary yes. criticism, yeah. So. And I was reading, essentially I was reading A Wrinkle in Time for that essay through the lens of Mrs. Who's glasses. I mean, through <laughs> the the lens of Plato's Republic. Okay. Oh. Uh, with the analogy of the cave um, and a couple other facets of, of that. Okay. Sure. Uh, the idea of the ideal versus uh, the actual. Versus the actual stuff. and... Yeah. The idea that that uh, putting a name to something is is sort of a limiting yes. thing. Um, yes. And yeah. Which is I, super prevalent in this book. Wait, is it? No. Okay. <laughs> Not okay. really. Yeah, your story falls apart under scrutiny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, no, and I want uh, so the question I did want to ask you though, just 
is actually even more open-ended. Just sure. like, why? Why this book? Why is it so just win your heart? Okay, so when I recommended this book or, or brought this book as the book you're going to read for this podcast, it struck me that why didn't I do this sooner? Because it's an obvious choice. Um, because this book, the, the word I keep coming back to is formative mm. and rereading this again, it, I see just even more how formative this book actually is for me in the uh-huh. way I write, the way I read, uh, the way I think is a lot formed by this book. It's this book that made me a nominalist in mm. a good sense. Interesting. Uh, so that the idea that words essentially have whatever meaning you're giving to them yes and therefore you can have a conversation with someone and they can be using the same word that you're using but you mean entirely different things right which that sort of nominalism really only helps communication right because then you can acknowledge that someone else doesn't understand or uh has a different meaning and then even if you don't know what the meaning is you can recognize there's a difference there right (laughs) and just recognizing that bridge that needs to be crossed is kind of how um I forget what the name of the aliens ultimately were, uh, but yes. Aunt Beast and her her race. That's basically yeah. how they act. They're like, yeah, this whole language thing is really hard and limiting and right. stuff, mm-hmm. and all like the senses too is all very limiting and all that, which which I could go into all that too, but uh, that that sort of concept that it's really hard to communicate with someone who is more limited in scope, but I know it's necessary. Is kind of sure. how that goes, which. Now that I say that out loud makes me sound like a pompous jerk. Right. But... <laughs> well, but that's, that's, you know, there's an interesting sort of a... Uh, uh, Apologies. No, that's all right. Interruptions. Okay. Interruptions. Happens, and... They're not technically a loss. No. They're not. Only the one. The one type of interruption. Yeah. But we specified. We specified. Man, that seems like an oversight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, especially... We could just say whoever leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not yeah. here to establish rules. We're here to break them. Yeah, no. and also the space-time continuum. Yes! So, this book, and okay. I was on a train of thought, and I can't well, remember we exactly were, what it was, but... We were talking about sort of the idea of... You, you use the phrase explaining things Com- to... Yeah, communication. Someone who's and... limited. Yes. Um... <laughs> And what I was about to say before someone's wife very rudely interrupted us uh, <laughs> was that, you know, the, the idea of limitation even in this mm-hmm. book is pushed at. Um, what is actually a limitation and, like, by what standard are you considered limited? You know, and that's that's evident from the very beginning, The um, you know, that, that Meg and Charles Wallace are both considered at school sort of a... Uh, um pariah pariah or or weirdo yeah weirdo is probably almost a better one even that that you know meg just daydreams all day and and charles wallace sort of doesn't you know engage the way that other children do Mm -hmm. um but those exact things are what make them get chosen for this sort of extraterrestrial inter interplanetary adventure yep you know by these these sort of supernatural beings Whereas, uh, you know, the, the twins, Sandy and, and Dennis, I don't mm-hmm. know how to, yep. that's the way you say it. That's correct. I didn't have stuffed name. animals that I named after all these characters growing up. <laughs> okay, well, that's a very specific denial, but I'm glad it's on the record now. 
Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, Sandy and Dennis are like the classically like they're good at sports and they're yep. they're kind of with it. They're clearly sort of culturally sensitive, but um, normal. Yeah, but and normal. So in in a in a certain context, you'd call Meg and Charles Wallace the limited ones, even though Charles Wallace is you know by far the Super, most perceptive character yeah. in these books. Um, you know, I was gonna say the smartest, but like you have these characters who are basically angels, so not so much that. Right. But in some ways, he's probably like more perceptive than they are, to the point that he'll sort of yell at them for their faults. Yes, which is kind of like there's a theme throughout this that's like an incarnation sort of theme. Yeah, which kind of links to that communication idea of how does someone higher right. communicate with someone lower, and it's an incarnation sort of thing. And huh. Charles Wallace himself is that sort of incarnation uh, where he can bridge that gap to an extent better than the, yeah. the, the, the messes W's. Yeah. To um, some extent to his detriment. Yes. Since that's what allows him to be essentially possessed. Right. <laughs> he becomes a kind of a conduit or a channel in that way. Right. Um, yeah, and it, this was all sort of reminding me of what one of the two like things that because I, I went through a phase where I read this book several times during, mm -hmm. I want to say it was even more like middle school, early high school. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've read it through once. I know I listened to the book, book on tape uh, recording of it several times. Um, and yeah, I, I think I read it for school once. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think the first time I read it was fifth grade or maybe even sooner. Okay. Um, which like before that I was a smart kid in school, you know, the typical teacher's pet sort of. What? Yeah. Uh, no. Shocking. shocking. Yeah. I would race to make sure that my papers were handed in before everybody else's. <laughs> um, so yeah, but that, I mean, that's part of what made this communicate to me in the first place because sure. Meg and Charles Wallace are super smart and that's their greatest virtue is how intelligent they are. Right. But then they're also unique and kind of outcasts from, from others. And so that's something that I immediately connected with. And then those features kind of amplified for me. Sure. And... But yeah. there were there were two specific just like lines that always stuck with me from this book that even when, you know, I hadn't read it for many, many years until this this reread that I did, you know, within the past week, um, there were two lines that always stuck with me, even when I had sort of lost the context of the rest of them. And the one was that I knew there was this scene where somehow Madeline Langle had brilliantly written it so that sight came to seem like a limiting thing yes that that oh, it was okay. you know somehow like someone trying to explain sight to someone else and um you know that it was that 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 through this dialogue sight came to seem like the the handicap almost yeah and in my mind i had built it up to where it it just you know it must have been some sort of like set of brilliant rhetorical maneuvers or whatever so when I did this reread, I was a little bit surprised to find that it's not. It's really just the creature asking Meg what sight is. Yep. And then Meg not being able to explain. Right. Which which is, is exactly the brilliance. That yeah. it's it's something that's impossible to put into words for right. someone who doesn't have it. Right. Which is also kind of connected to the whole cave metaphor 
in the the republic? how does this guy who's seen more than just the shadows on the wall describe what everything is to people who have only seen shadows on the wall? right and which which is actually kind of an interesting reversal from the the cave analogy because Mm -hmm. it's the limited person not being able to explain something to someone who is far higher and yeah no that that whole exchange is really great and um where where it becomes excellent is where meg tries to explain sight and she tries to explain it from coming to the the common uh experience of the sun saying well you've got a sun right and then aunt beast this creature responds uh and the response is just excellent and it kind of just shuts meg up and is like well yeah, and light, <laughs> because what Aunt Beast says is, A most wonderful sun, from which comes our warmth, and the rays which give us our flowers, our food, our music, and all th- the things which make life and growth. And that's so much more than light. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. You, I underlined everything that's listed that comes from the sun. Warmth, flowers, food, music, life, growth. Mm-hmm. And, like, some of those make absolutely logical sense, but then others are like, how music being one <laughs> right well and that, that uh links I, I, that gets gets expanded on a little bit because um Aunt beast has a her moment where she she talks about the uh essentially it's the music of the spheres right yes. the the idea that um which that term is is i believe from like medieval literature mm-hmm. medieval european literature um that which kind of draws from the Platonic and Aristotelian ideas of the ideal. And yeah, absolutely. The but ether. it's it's this idea that that there are the universe is sort of composed of multiple spheres. Yep. Um, and that the way that the stars sort of interact, the the dance that they do, that you know we can mathematically chart that there's a sort of music mm-hmm. produced by that, and there's there's a parallel between sort of the predictably mathematical nature of the stars that are nevertheless this overwhelmingly beautiful thing, mm-hmm. um, and the mathematical nature of music, which right. is also you know exactly the same description it's it's mathematically predictable and regular but it's also this like inexpressibly beautiful yeah right yeah Yeah. going back to sight it is interesting how um on beasts or meg trying to explain sight on beasts is sort of the culmination of what you've seen throughout the entire book because you see Mrs. Who and Mrs. Wesson and Mrs. Witch, yeah. and they're, you don't know what to make of them because mm-hmm. they seem weird. And then you go to the planet that it is controlling, mm-hmm. and everything looks perfect from the outside, but then the inside is rotten. And then you mm-hmm. go to see Aunt Beast, and they're terrifying. You don't everything. know what they are. Yeah. And everything is gray, too. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. It looks unappealing but you find out it's the most beautiful planet there is right right yeah that that uh connection between the appearance of the thing and the essence of the thing yeah are really cool in this book yeah um which again is formative for me <laughs> right that's a i mean in a, a, one illustration that is is off of, of a really good point that karen just made that um we uh uh I have no idea what I was about to say. <laughs> so, never mind. <laughs> Karen was talking about Kamazots. Oh, and... yes, yes, yes. No, the, the just the the contrast between Kamazots and the... The, the other um, planet. 
Well, not not I was I was gonna say between Mrs. Watson and Mrs. Oh, 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 oh. and Mrs. Witch because yeah they're they're all always described in this almost chaotic way right mm-hmm. like that's it's you know she she she's like a a centaur except she's not even like a centaur which which, like, which makes, makes those... me mad about this cover of the book where right. they actually just have a centaur with little angel wings on the back right <laughs> and like you know makes like Meg says a centaur is or makes sort of internal monologues as a centaur <clears throat> is the closest thing to what she looks like but is also not is also not mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and you know, and and so you almost don't know how to describe these people. Whereas then you go to Kamazots, and everything is very orderly, um, fits into boxes. Yeah, fits into boxes, and it's very visual. I remember mm-hmm. there was a terrible um, made-for-TV movie that ABC did <laughs> back in the day of this of this book, and you know most of it was was terrible. But the only visual images that stick in my mind from that movie are the ones of Kamazots, because that's the most almost easy to depict visually part of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's, there's a movie that's either out, probably by the time we release this by episode. By the time this is released, it's probably it's out. out. Um, it's like about Disney. to be out as we, as we speak. Um, time and is confusing here. It's almost as though... There's a wrinkle in it. Yes, we've, we've done this bit. Um, but it's still so good. I was ashamed of this bit the first time I did it. Uh, you should be ashamed because you did it first and now it won't stop. I That's also what... <sighs> you opened the anyway, floodgates. Podcasts are released on tapes. <laughs> See, that doesn't even make me mad. That <laughs> uh, was my attempt at a quick low, low hit. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. So yeah, Dis- uh, Disney is about to about to has is released uh version of this movie, and I and I don't think well, obviously none of us have seen it because we're not even sure if it's out. But um, reviews pending. <laughs> <laughs> um. And you know, I'm I I hope it's good. It, this mm-hmm. book certainly deserves a great movie. But I think it's gonna be a very challenging book for anyone to put on screen. Yes. Um, you know, I almost can't blame the the old ABC one for being not crap. not good. Yeah, for being crap. Um, let's let's call a spade a pile of crap here. Uh, <laughs> you know, just we because... can be nominalists. <laughs> <laughs> I know a hawk from Hansa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Michael's line. Um, <laughs> so uh, because you know, because in in one sense it seems like a, a naturally adaptable book like the the plots beats oh it's a very clear plot very yeah. very sort of uh movie movie structure standard um it's a, you know 200 page book or so like it's mm-hmm. almost perfect length for a for a detailed screen treatment um so like all of that is is so great except that with the exception of scenes in like the first chapter or two most of it is either the imagery is sort of confusing and purposely like hard to define or the scenes are all them standing around talking about stuff mm-hmm. um and it works you know so well in in novel form um because you know in a novel you can get away with a scene of people just talking about stuff if the talking is interesting um you know mm-hmm. if the stuff they're talking about is is 
compelling. Whereas in a movie, characters standing in a circle just saying paragraphs is just death. Not um, to mention the climax is entirely telepathic communication. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a very valid so point. So imagine a giant brain and a girl staring, staring at each, each other. other. <laughs> I hope that is the climax of the movie. Like, yeah. Just no, you know, no visual cues, no, like, you know, uh, vocalizing what is sub... None of that. Just the girl and the brain staring at each other. Yeah. And, and Charles she Wallace. Takes Wall- Charles Wallace. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's delightful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what we didn't do? What? We didn't give Paypal a chance to read this book before Paypal. we started talking We didn't. About it. But um, it's okay because time is wrinkled. That's true. <laughs> so here's here's what we'll do. Okay. We're going to pause now yes. to give you a chance to read this. Um, then go back. Now, yeah, what, what we want you to do is uh, write a note, mm-hmm. fold it up in a paper airplane, Aim it in the fourth dimensional direction of the past. Yep. And fling it real hard. Yep. Um, so that it hits red. you in the head. In the head, just as you're about to hit play on your podcast tape machine. Um, yeah. That's the direction that looks red. Yeah, the just red. The red direction. Red the red direction, direction is the past. Obviously. That's Everybody like knows that, Karen. Title. Um, <laughs> the red direction. <laughs> uh, everyone will think it's a thriller about the Cold War. Yeah, I know. Um, it will be, but also it won't be. It'll be a thriller about everything. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. So, uh, during the pause, pull that paper airplane, hit yourself in the head, uh, so that before you start this podcast, you will have gotten your own note, stopped, read the book, then played this podcast. Um, and then by the time we come to the end of the pause, you will have already read the book in the past. And... Mm-hmm then you'll be right where you should be, right? That all that all works out. Yep. Kay. That's how it works. Alright. Ready? Three, two, one, pause. And aren't We're you back. glad you wrinkled that time? Yes. So you have now listened to the first however many minutes of this episode, uh thirty something, maybe. Thirty well, something fortunately, probably. twenty of it was not talking about the book. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you remind us of that, Karen? <laughs> we are. If they went back and listened to the beginning of the episode after they listened to what we already did, which came after the glasses clinked, have we lost? Only in the room with them. Oh. And not in this room. In their room. Yeah, in their room we did we technically lost. lose, but we now aren't there. Right. And everything that's happening now. To quote the great masterpiece of cinema, Spaceballs, <laughs> is happening <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so we're good. Okay. If we were in that room with them, then it then we would have happened. Would have been. Yeah, I my okay. my head hurts, and I'm not. Tenses I'm not sure why. aren't made to be abused this way. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, um, I want to talk about the beginning of the book. Please. And the end of the book. Please, 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 please let us talk about the beginning. Okay. I love the beginning Um, of this book. You realize the first line of this book (laughs) is a joke. Yes, absolutely. It was a dark and stormy night. Are you trying to trap me right now? No, I'm not. Because you could be. (laughs) I could be. It will probably work even though you're not. Sure. Okay. Anyway, go on. But, no, it was a dark and stormy night. Um, number one, the Peanuts... 
yeah comic strip with every snoop every snoopy story that he writes is make sure you pronounce the snoopy story no 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 the name of that comic strip peanuts. just just really hit those peanuts. peanuts yeah hit those t's hard so, um yeah what's up to it's, it's not much better to really say the nuts or the pee oh, man nuts. what a dirty comic strip <laughs> anyway so yes it's um, a snoopy reference yes and um What's that? What's that competition? Edward Bulwer Lytton. Thank you. Uh, wrote the the novel. I forget what the novel's name is, um, but it's a sort of a Victorian melodrama high adventure novel. It was sort of considered a classic of like boys' own type fiction for mm-hmm. many many years. Um, that it was a dark and stormy night is the first line of. First line. Ah. Gentle listener, I know you just saw this on your podcast tape, but Michael did snap and point at me when I said <laughs> first line, even though he had no reason to do that. Thought I had you. I know, That's I right. know. So you were trying to trap me. I wasn't trying. You were just going to. I was if just you going could. to. Yeah. That's fair. If it fell in my lap, you know, I'm yeah, do with you know. it what I do with things that fall in my lap. Hey, what would what like archetype would you say that it falls into? It falls into the archetype of giant throbbing brains. That's not an archetype. <laughs> it could be. It's I can not be a nominalist ar- about it and call not it that. An archetype anywhere Just other like, than um, on Doctor Who. Dracula falls into the archetype of big throbbing brains that control you. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also... Big throbbing brains that control you <laughs> is what all men call after they have s- call what they were thinking with after they have been successfully seduced. <laughs> Dude, that was funny. Oh, oh yeah, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow, Karen, why are you so dirty? Way to bring down the quality of this yeah. podcast. Yeah, Karen, you're just dragging us straight through the gutter here. I mean, I like I could go wash all this mud off, but <laughs> guys wanted me in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh boy. I think we both just lost to her. Uh, yeah. I think, I think this is like one of those, you know, trial by combat things and she now owns the podcast. <laughs> yeah. She is now our boss. Uh... You keep what you kill. Uh, That's the Chronicles of Riddick rules. <laughs> anyway, that so, whole yeah. reference. Yeah. The, um, I don't know if your editions have the introduction by the author. I believe, I believe it does. It does. I don't believe I read it because Her. I don't believe in reading introductions. Well, I, I did. read introductions after I read the book. I don't even believe in it then. But she says things in there that, uh, things like stories have a life of their own. They say different things to different people at different times. Yeah. Takes us beyond the facts into something more real. Uh, some of these questions don't have finite answers, but the questions themselves are important. You know, all those, all that sort of crap. And yeah, then, garbage. And like, the, the last paragraph of that introduction, she says, Story always tells us more than the mere words. Uh... Huh. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So you know, it's all it's all part of that. But like by starting this Good book, analytical conclusion. Thank you. By starting this book, I'll get you your PhD. By saying, 
I know. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. Uh, starting it by saying it was a dark and stormy night. What that does is it says this is a story. Right. This is a novel. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very clearly story, but also more. Right. And that's what she's playing with, which comes up like, okay, by saying essentially that it was right. dark and stormy night. This is a story. This is a form of right. narrative storytelling that I'm using. And then you come to page 186 in my edition where uh, Mrs. What's It is talking to Calvin uh saying um well it starts in the, the one before in your language you have a form of poetry called the sonnet yes 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 calvin said impatiently blah 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 uh kindly pay me the courtesy of listening to me it's a very strict form of poetry there are 14 lines i believe all in iambic pentameter that's a very strict rhythm or meter yes yes calvin nodded and each line has to end with a rigid rhyme pattern and if the poet does not do exa- it exactly this way it is not a sonnet is it no but within this strict form, the poet has complete freedom to say whatever he wants, doesn't he? Yes, Calvin nodded again. So, Mrs. Watson said, so what? Oh, do not be stupid, boy, Mrs. Watson scolded. You know perfectly well what I'm driving at. You mean you're comparing our lives to a sonnet? A strict form, but freedom within it? Yes, Mrs. Watson said. You've give, you're given the form, but you have to write the sonnet yourself. What you say is completely up to you. Uh, so that. <laughs> so what about it? That is essentially what, she, like, she's structured the whole book to demonstrate that exact philosophy. Yes. Of essentially, it, it's it's a discussion huh. of kind of the 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 free will question. Yeah. And her suggestion for that is, to an extent, the will is bound, but within that bondage, there's freedom. Right. Like a sonnet, like a novel, like right. a story that has a form, but there's freedom within it. That's a that's a really interesting point in light of the, the formalist stuff I was talking about mm-hmm. a little bit ago. In the idea that, um, yeah, she has followed what probably really, you know, it's, it's um, when you write, if you take a class writing screenplays, right? Like uh-huh. there's a certain fairly strict sort of uh, um, structure that they teach you that you you know your your however long the screenplay is right you divide it into three acts right. and that um, act one and act three combined are usually about the same amount of time as act two mm-hmm. um, God bless you thank you um, <laughs> Uh, Acts 2. <laughs> got it, I got yeah, it. No, yeah. you don't have to explain your joke. Well, I almost <laughs> did, apparently. If you didn't make that a rule. Explain um, your joke, you lose. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. I like it, but also I'm, I'm throwing afraid that one in the it. ring for you, Karen. <laughs> I like it, but I'm also afraid of it. Right? I was considering uh, anyone who sneezes loses. Oh, mm, man. Ooh. See, this is why I didn't want her to know this, brutal. this rule. Like, <laughs> she's mean. Um, Allergy season's coming up. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, gentle listener, in case you didn't see that, that was the sound of Karen rubbing her hands together and looking evil. Maniacal. Um, and twirling her mustachios. Um, but since sight is a limiting factor, you can imagine we, how that works. Wow. Right. We're giving you a richer experience by not letting you see all of our naked bodies. I mean... Is that... Wait... <laughs> We said we would never talk about that rule. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not a sex thing, though. We just, we're just we just nudists. <laughs> but only don't during put, the don't podcast. Don't put such a yeah, limiting name on it. Don't put a label on it. 
Oh my gosh. Back to the cave for all of us. <laughs> Lock me up and tie me to a wall. Well, not now that you said it that way. <laughs> so, what are we even saying? Uh, fate. Yeah. Uh, Which actually anymore. is kind of pointed to very explicitly by having these three women. Oh, I was starting to say, yes, you're right. And they quote Macbeth. Right. The three but witches as from a Macbeth. Joke. Which, as a joke. Because, like, that's a common sort of interpretation of the witches of uh, right. Macbeth. That they're the, the fates, which is a bullcrap interpretation. But it still is one. Well, and so it's kind of poking fun at that and saying, yeah. ah, we're like that, except we're not. And sort of the, <laughs> yeah. the three women image reoccurs oh. so often throughout mythology and Neil literature. Gaiman. Um, yeah, Neil Gaiman uses it repeat. Neil Gaiman almost has like made a career out of the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone. Yeah, like you know, maybe Which he is actually pretty much what we've got. Yeah, absolutely, and they're they're much more along the lines of sort of the Maiden, Mother, and Crone mm-hmm. archetype than the the Fates archetype, which also the witches in in uh, Macbeth are. Yep. Um, and you know, I I don't think it's it's uh, illegitimate to say that there is. Uh, not necessarily a complete dichotomy between that image and the idea of the fates. Right. You could argue that the fates are just another incarnation of that image. Almost. Yes, and that's that's the way I would prefer to see it, rather than seeing the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone being an incarnation of the fates. Yeah, see the fates yeah. as an incarnation of the Maiden, Mother, and Crone. Right. With the ideal here is the Maiden, Mother, and Crone. The actual is the fates. Right, see? exactly, exactly. <laughs> and... Um, you know, especially because even in mythology, like you have, you also have three furies. Yes. Um, and the furies are sexless. Right. Um, and you know that, but they're they're linked very much with the fates. So mm-hmm. there's clearly sort of many more aspects to this crystal than just that idea of of fate or of right determinism. And I do think that's that's what uh, Langle here seems like she's trying to sort of bust out of that, yeah. that prism for prism or prison. Either way, <laughs> boom. Either way, uh, you don't even have to enunciate, and you're right. But what I was starting to say before, yep. um, and this is along the lines of the whole fate free will thing, is this idea about screenplays, right? You have this very rigid yep. structure. Certain things always have to happen at certain times, and um, literature is a little bit more freeform but often in writing classes, and I think especially in the, the 50s and early 60s when this book was written, um, you would see this, is you, you get taught that same three-act screenplay structure for your novel. Yeah. Um, and if it wasn't to say, like, oh, this is how you have to write it, it was at least to say this is a really good form mm-hmm. that has proven to work repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. It, it reminds me, weirdly enough, of the movie Deadpool. Um, because uh, that I did not expect. Okay. So in in that, you know, the movie Deadpool, I often like to point out, especially to people who didn't really like it, um, that it's basically a romantic comedy. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> there's some sort of trollish marketing of it as a romantic comedy. Um, but I think the writers and the the marketers were maybe a little bit even cleverer than a lot of people thought because the structure of that film of the story in it is a romantic comedy structure there's a you know you have a loner male protagonist who's flawed but lovable 
he meets a girl they you know uh you sort of get into a, a very serious relationship um there's a problem he goes away uh and then you know something happens where he sort of has to come back like it's mm -hmm. a basic romantic comedy structure of course the actual story within that structure is you know super violent and and uh um you know not what any of the actual content you'd expect from a romantic comedy uh but similarly here like all of the beats all of the structural beats in this book are your basic sort of three-act screenplay style structure mm -hmm. um it's a you know it, i mean it's a hero's journey sort oh, of oh definitely definitely um but it's it's you know very much that but that said once you zoom in on any given part of it none of it is what you'd expect from mm -hmm. that especially from the hero's journey yep you know there's there's no like killing at all for one thing right which was you know when i was 14 was kind of disappointing to be honest like, i wanted her to hack and slash it all apart oh yeah like um, just shank that i think you guys yeah. missed some points when no. we were when we were 14? 14. 14. I mean... I, know, I didn't miss anything when I was, I was 14. I was as smart when I was 14 as I am now. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Should you brag about that? <laughs> well, what, what, why not? Just, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk later. Don't okay, okay. I'm sure we will when you but banish me to the couch. Um, at the same time, though, my memories uh, of reading this book, and even now... I finished the book and I set it down and it is one of the most satisfying things absolutely ever which is weird because the actual ending of the book is super abrupt yeah and I I do want to talk about that we may have to wait till next episode we might have ending, to but, but um I do I actually I want to get your take on the ending sure. I have some specific questions I don't I have some specific spoil. answers We'll see if up. they match up. I'll say, you ask a question, I'll give an answer. We'll see if it makes sense. <laughs> we'll see if they make sense together. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Karen, what other thoughts do you have on the book? Well, I was just... I, let's see if I can find it again. I was just, like, glancing through this, because uh, Secret uh, Confession Time, I haven't actually read this for a few years, but... <laughs> wait, wait. You mean you found out that we were doing this book tonight you found this out like three hours ago and in yeah. that time you did not prepare like a professional uh, and reread the book no i did i did not is it because you were watching the oscars during that time uh yeah but guys helen mirren's dress oh my gosh. omg Fabulous. yes okay but we can't turn this into a post oscars <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though we only even but we only watched half of it. Don't tell everyone that. Guys, this is actually super irrelevant by the so time much this inside baseball. podcast comes out. <laughs> like, yeah. it'll be it's weeks done. from now. Everyone knows that... Everybody's live tweeted the... Everyone knows that Moonlight again won the Best Picture <laughs> Oscar two years in a row. <laughs> the, the MVP come from behind champions that no one saw coming. It was a very important yeah. sports episode. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, team. Karen. So, uh, I was just thinking about the communication, and this is Calvin and Charles Wallace meeting for the first time. They just uh -huh. have 10,000 misunderstandings yes. and they try to communicate, and it's beautiful. Yes. So, um, 
Calvin says, most important moron I've ever met. Calvin said, I just came to get away from my family. Charles Wallace nodded. What kind of family? They all have runny noses. I'm the third from the top of eleven kids. I'm a sport. At that, Charles Wallace grinned widely. So am I. <laughs> I don't mean like in baseball, Calvin said. Neither do I. <laughs> I mean like in biology, Calvin said suspiciously. A change in genes, Charles Wallace quoted, resulting in the appearance of the offspring of a character which is not present in the, present in the parents, but which is potentially transmissible to its offspring. And it's just... Keeps going where they're misunderstanding each so other. It's, it's they're they're misunderstanding each other, but they're also saying the same yes, thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they're misunderstanding how they're understanding each other. Yeah. Right? Partly, which is interesting because it it's that's a thing. Yeah. You know, like growing up as a as a kid who you know read James Joyce for fun. Nerd. Like, I say that with much more chagrin than like braggery. At this point, though, you were super proud of yourself at the time. I wasn't. Uh, Don't deny it. It's complicated. <laughs> um, basically, all I wanted. Well, basically, at the time, I was convinced that there were other people who also read James Joyce for fun at the age of sixteen, and I just See? hadn't found them yet. And and I think this conversation, Meg's whole thing, yes. where she is. Like it, it's it's her conflict, which also is representative of this whole free will question, right. where she is divorced from everyone, so isolated, but also needs to belong. Right. And and like I think this this conversation that Karen just quoted is two people who have had enough life experience that they're convinced that those other people like them don't exist. Yep. So when they find two people or find one other person who's so on the same track as them they're so used to just explaining yep. or being misunderstood that they automatically do it you know it's mm -hmm. like it's sort of like the classic scene in in a you know romantic comedy again where like a guy is trying to talk a girl into going out with him and she says yes repeatedly but he's so used to like being, being rejected. rejected that he keeps trying to convince her and and you know yeah. it's, it's a similar like thing to that we keep really. going back to romantic comedy I know I don't I don't my wife okay. is in the room and <laughs> I'm afraid to discuss my secret love for horror um I don't know I have a question no is this the book where they talk about Charles Wallace not speaking until he was yep like four yes okay. yep also if you have a question you can just ask the question I, not I'd like say to I have a question <laughs> I noticed. I'm trying to help well, you. Well, like, we're on a but... podcast, so I want them to be able to hear me. And so... not just, like, half of it be blocked by your laughing. Oh, oh, I see. So what, what you mean by I have a question is you're talking too much. Shut up, please. <laughs> what I'm it's... saying is I have the conch shell. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's the herald at a formal ball yes. who's like everyone i am pleased to pre present and then like all the conversations kind of quiet for <laughs> yeah, a and moment, then everyone's like so that everyone can acknowledge yeah. the one who's coming in right yeah. or like the herald's like everyone i must announce karen has a question <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're, then you're there like what's in the shrimp cocktail <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Anyway. Well, did you have a point about just, Charles Wallace not speaking not until speaking he tried? Just, like, the fact that he was actually unable to communicate, so he was taking in 
information yeah. for not putting it out. Yeah. yeah. We had input but not output. Uh huh. I work in. I'm a programmer now. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. Put it into terms. So that's why none of you except Mike Buchanan context. just understood what Karen said. Right. <laughs> but that that's almost because of the doing as well when he's interacting with it because. Mm. He becomes that way again, where he he just takes in, takes in, and can't. doesn't give out his yeah. own. Yeah, you know. neat, interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very good. Mm-hmm. I will say though that the first time I read that, I wanted that to be me. I wanted uh-huh. me to have been Charles Wallace right. when I was like growing up. And so I, I was, I, I don't know if I actually did, but I really wanted to tell all my friends. Yeah, I didn't say anything until I was four. Yeah, and then you, I just talked in full sentences. You, you're you're at the age because that, none of my friends read this book. Right, so right. I could have gotten away with it. And like in fifth grade, you're at the age where you can think of doing that, but you don't fully like get the fact that you can just put words in any order you want. Yep. And sometimes <laughs> people will believe them. Right. <laughs> Right. Like I, I, you know, I, I don't know when I discovered this, but it was a brilliant revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just one one final thought, because I think we're sort of butting up against the end of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> but rudely. Um, which I was gonna say rudely before you said but, but then I decided to still say it, and now I've and explained the joke and broken the rule. I and, did. Um, yeah. Too bad it's not I a rule yet. Made it a rule. Yeah, you should have made it a rule. See, because <laughs> then it would have. Anyway. Um, I explained the joke. I'm gonna get screwed so hard if this becomes a rule. Uh, no, one thing I love that 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 conversation brought out is just the like Langle's characters, and I remember this mm-hmm. um this book and the Arm of the Starfish were the two books by her that I just adored, and I remember this happening in both of those books. And you know, I I read some of her other books, none of them as extensively as these other two, but their char- the characters always just like know more than they should and like more has happened to them than should have already happened to them Mm -hmm. um you know like like i just uh remember in the arm of the starfish there's like the main character is a guy and there are sort of two women in his life and um the one is very sort of being you know seductive and, and whatnot but she's being subtle about it so far Except the other one, who is slightly younger and and is is you know, has more of like a a little sister crush I think on the main character if I'm remembering it right. She just says, "Oh yeah, Callie's got her hooks in in the main character," and she just says it offhand, and that's the first time that has been addressed. But it's like she's been around in all these scenes, you know, perceiving way more than the reader can even you know sure know, and that's those early scenes with especially with Calvin and especially when Calvin meets both Charles Wallace and Meg. Um, there's a lot of that where it's like, there's already, he comes, he hops onto the stage just fully formed and with his own background and adventures. And I'm going to say that the only other author I've ever known who can do this, this effectively Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, I hear you. Shakespeare's characters, like his, his side characters are always, so much more well-rounded. And, they are developed by the time they get to the stage. Yeah, like, when they hop on stage, they're they're a full character. Yep. And often they have much more, like, story and personality than they should for their function in right. the play. Really, Calvin, like, 
Calvin could have just been the sporty guy at school who also secretly was really smart. Yeah. And like, like, leave it at that. He would have been effective. And but, sort of been dragged on the adventure and right. held hands with Meg and, like, kissed her on the cheek. Right. At and that would have been awesome. Moment. But by having so much more depth to his character, by, you know, secretly describing his family a little bit, and then we see his family through the happy medium. Yeah. And then, oh, 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 he's so rich yeah, by the time yeah. we meet him that, like, oh. Well, and it's, it's it's an interesting effect because all of these characters have other books, you know, that yeah. where they have adventures and, they've either been on or will be on. Um, or both, because yeah. I, I was actually just looking at the front of my book. It's got family trees yes, from yes, all of her very books. very confusing she, Lengel family tree. She differentiates between Kronos time, which is, uh, she says, ordinary wristwatch alarm clock time, yes. and Kairos time which is real-time, pure numbers with no measurement, and she <laughs> differentiates the family trees through those times yeah, yeah. And because it's all wrinkled and stuff, right. and it's complicated <laughs> and amazing. And I don't know how she lives on this earth because she is thinking in six dimensions. Yep, <laughs> My true. thought of characters who arrive fully formed was Tolkien. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well they, because he wrote the whole mythology. Right. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Just like everything's imbued with this history. Yeah. And right. it seems like you're reading just part of a saga. Well, because you are. You yeah. Know, like, The Lord of the Rings is really just sort of the most publishable part of a, you know, several hundred volume history that Tolkien wrote. Yep. Right. Um, and I, I don't think it's, it, it's the same effect, but I don't think it's the same root cause as someone like Langle. Mm -hmm. I think to Langle, these people are just running around in the world and they happen to run across her page periodically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. interesting how, like, you're reading the other series, main series, the Austin series, mm -hmm. and then just occasionally people from this series will pop up and you're like, sure. oh, I know them. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read anything except the Time Quintet, <gasps> Quintet, but I want to read so much They're more. They're so good. You should read all of them. I want to read all Especially of them. Especially the Austin series. All I right. know. Also, I need to do that so that I can understand an acceptable time better. <laughs> because that one was really confusing to me the first time I read oh, it. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That's Polyokeep? Yep. Is the... Yep. Okay. Yep. Really I think... cool. I think she's in the Arm of the Starfish. Yes. She and... Her dad and... Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, that's all right. So anyway, uh, to conclude, Karen has now recommended that we all go read what I think is about 35 or so... Something like Novels that. is all. At least the... At least the five in this series. Five? I think I counted once and to read and all of the Austins and the, uh, the O'Keeffe's, you would have to read about, like, 35 novels. Something... I think that was what I got to at one point. I counted 13 on this page, but uh -huh. there's probably more. I'm, sh I'm sure there are. Wait, so what are the ones in this series? Okay, this we, we don't okay, need sorry. to here, 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 do here. this it's a list on time, the podcast. A Wind in the Door, A Swiftly Tilting Planet, Many Waters, which yes. is the one about Sandy and Dennis, and that's yes. that was probably my, favorite. my second favorite okay. after A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, then An Acceptable Time. Oh, okay. Yes. Very good. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? Read this book and love it because it's and all the other books. friggin' best. Yes, so good. We'll talk more. So Michael says, read this thoughts. one book, and Karen says, 
read all 35 read, or whatever there are of these books. books. All the books. And I will. I'm going to. I agree with Michael, and I'm flirting heavily with taking up Karen's charge. Um, Don't flirt with your wife in public. It's unseemly. Uh, <laughs> like airing one's clean linen. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks <laughs> with another episode of Ethan is surrounded by trials. <laughs> it's your particular cross to bear. <laughs> it's a pretty hard one. Uh, this concludes part one of A Wrinkle in Time. Thank you. This concludes part one of A Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> Michael, Michael prompted me. Um, in two weeks, that. we'll be. Yeah, you should have. You ham, um, <laughs> ham, hamlet, uh, hamlet uh, sandwich. Uh, anyway. Feel free to read along, even though you've already read this because of the whole wibbly-wobbly thing we did before. Yep, yep. Um, if you'd like to join the discussion, visit us at tapestryradio.org. Leave your feedback in the comments section. Um, otherwise, fire a tweet at us. Um, uh, we're at Room, at Room with Scotch on the Twitter. That's um, this podcast. Yes. And, you know, pay no attention to certain other podcasts who have called us names. Mm -hmm. did, and told did, you not to listen to us. And told you not to listen. What did, what did they even say? They, something about being degenerate and... Degenerate and... Uh, uh, I, I don't know if they said pugnacious. Something like that. They did, they did then yeah. um, challenge us. This is, for the gentle listener's sake, this is Alzebo Soup. Um, which you shouldn't listen to. Which you shouldn't listen to. I would have said you should listen to it because I'm a donor now. <laughs> and um, me too. I guess that I don't. I give them money. I don't listen to them. That's our job now is to to donate or to promote. I don't know. I don't know. I, it seems like if you donate to a podcast, you should maybe promote it. But now we can't. No. Nope. Because tit for tat and all that. Um, We're public did, enemies now. They did charge us or uh, uh, challenge us to a video game or board game because they said something about that That's being true. a more like manly challenge. I tried challenge to challenge them with, a uh, with uh, at bout underscore bot. Uh huh. Check that out. That's fun on Twitter. It's it is fun except it's prejudice towards Michael. Um, Just saying, you can't fight me with a sword when I have a rock or a sword, so... Uh, yeah, because the actual battlefield is on your side. Anyway, <laughs> um, ignore when Elzebo Soup says to not listen to us. And do um, listen to us. And do listen to us. Ignore us when we say don't listen to... No, ignore us when we... I don't know. Good, just listen to Elzebo Soup. It's and, actually and really good. And ignore us. And also ignore us. Anyway... Um, but you may see on Twitter, uh, us. Ch I tried to challenge them to a game of Arkham Horror or Pandemic. Yes. And they came back at me with this lame graph about like those are cooperative games. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, whatever. Shut up! Don't bring your logic into this discussion. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyway, so Twitter's Twitter's a happening place lately. Mm -hmm. I got a a. Uh, oh, you're just gonna plug tweets. yourself now? I got a couple tweets liked. Yeah, I know. And commented um, on, commented on by Kelly Link. Yeah, I know. I saw who that. Who is like one of my favorite authors of all time. So like, I am big on Twitter now. So read Kelly Link as well. 
also read Kelly Link. We might have read Kelly Link in this podcast, in this podcast, except Alzheba Soup's latest episode, I believe, is them doing two Kelly Link short stories that are in the book that I was thinking about having. And because Michael already went ahead and antagonized them, I felt like it would have been too much of a provocation, like lobbing a missile accidentally into an enemy's territory, to like go ahead and double up. We're basically in a cold war with Alcibosoup right now. Like we are racing to develop better podcast literature, literature podcast weapons (laughs) before they do. Metaphors. Um, (laughs) just a war of metaphors. (laughs) Anyway, so if you want to join the fun on Twitter, we're at Room with Scotch. I am at Bjartlet, B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I am at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. At M-G Lilienthal, in other words. If you want to just say it. I might be easier for some people, Michael. Um, Most people put an extra L in there. Find us on... that's not my fault. It's technically your fault. (laughs) Um, You can find us on Facebook. We have... Uh, Michael and Ethan was in a room with Scotch page. We also have the Tapestry Radio Tap House, which is our uh, group for all of the Tapestry Radio shows, which include other shows such as our audio drama podcast, Intermission. Intermission. Oh, um, I was going to say that at the same time as you, but I was off. Uh, you'll fix it in post. I'll fix it. <laughs> um, we also have uh, Pokemon Go. Our... Pokemon Rollout. We Pokemon cannot... Rollout. I'm we sorry. officially yeah. do not okay. play Pokemon Go. Yeah. Because... Please don't sue us, Nintendo. I was going to say, I don't want to <laughs> get, get, get you guys in a, a lawsuit. Anyway. Uh, do we because have any... Nintendo listens to this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure they do. <laughs> the entire company. I mean, they've got That's nothing. how they start their day. <laughs> they've got nothing better to do. So, yeah. Um... I myself do a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. Yes, you do. Check that out. Uh, I write the script, and someone with actual talent does the art. So, um, you know, you win one out of two times there. Yep. Uh, I might have some apps in the App Store eventually. Good, good, good promotion, Ken. Well, Michael will post edit in you saying okay. the names okay. of the apps once they no, come. You gotta lead into it. Say the apps called. And then just leave a blank okay, space, yeah, let's, and I'll edit it in let's right stop, there. Let's stop. The app's called... Okay, good. And there you go. Now you know what app's... Now, now you know what app's done. <laughs> um, so check those out. I think that's all for now. Is there anything I forgot to say or do or promote? Uh, nope. I think we're, we're, we've are we've promoted ourselves enough. Yeah, that's... It's getting disgusting. Always true. It's been disgusting. I've, I've just promoted myself for something that I haven't done yet. So. <laughs> yeah, so once again... Promoted yourself in the future. Once yes. again, you win. It's All right. Well, thank you for from. joining us, Karen. What uh, What are you drinking, Karen? I am drinking an Italian sunset. Ethan, what are the ingredients to an Italian sunset? Well, normally it would be a layer of amaretto, a layer of pineapple juice, and then a layer of club soda with just a little bit of grenadine in it. Build all those over some ice. Um, if you want to, don't stir it if you want it to look like the namesake, the Italian sunset, because you get that nice um, mm, sort of gold, effect. yeah, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. and then yellow and then red from the grenadine. But if you do want it to taste better, you do need to stir it, and then it turns into sort of a muddy brown. Mm. Tonight, I did not. But sight is such a limiting. Yeah, it's yeah. limiting anyway. It's, 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 it's much better to like, drink a sunset yeah. than to see it anyway. Yeah, that's right. Um, tonight I did not have club soda, so I replaced that with ginger ale. How did that go for you? I liked it. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. 
So are we going to cut that out of now and put it at the beginning? or Maybe. No? Okay. Well, <laughs> that's about the quality of audio editing I expect around this joint. That's right. All right, listener, join us in two weeks for part two of our discussion of A Wrinkle in Time. Thank you very much. I love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'll get it. Don't worry. Sarah's grandmother would frequently say. Like when uh, people have to pause and go to the bathroom? When, yeah, when people would go to the bathroom or just start a conversation that wasn't actually part of the game they were playing. <laughs> this is what makes the game long! <laughs> That's not how she sounded, but I'm just doing my best old lady, old lady cranky grandma. impression. Yeah. and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.